Max Scherzer is the latest ace to pop up with an injury. Michael Conforto's status for opening day is in doubt, and David Dahl might lead off for the Rockies. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have not had uh, three go-throughs yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Wednesday, March 11th. Derek Van Riper here with Michael Beller. Max Scherzer is dealing with discomfort in his right side. He skipped a bullpen session Tuesday and ended up playing long toss instead. Michael, this is becoming all too familiar lately because I don't know if this is necessarily actionable right now or if it's a a veteran making a slight adjustment to his routine because of what could just be a minor ailment. But we have way too many pitchers and hitters going on the shelf with different injuries. Some drafts already in the books, many still to come. What do you make of what we know about Max Scherzer right now? Yeah, this is the one that I'm probably least concerned about that we've heard so far and uh, in all the episodes that I've done with Al where we've talked about uh, Chris Sale and James Paxton and Justin Verlander just uh, earlier this week. I've been pretty much sounding the alarm on all these guys saying that injuries can find you and there's no reason to go into a season with added injury risk and saying that I'm pretty much avoiding these guys across the board. But the fact that Scherzer was still able to play long toss is a good sign to me. Um, you know, this is a guy who doesn't need any spring innings, doesn't need any extra spring work. Uh, We know uh, the track record that he has. So you add that all up, and the fact that he was still able to make these, you know, 120-foot, 150-foot throws, that they didn't uh, have any reason to not let him do that, that he felt comfortable with it, that Davey Martinez felt comfortable with it, that tells me that this is one that, you know, it's popping up and it should be on our radar, but I'm not too concerned about Max Scherzer just yet. If he didn't have that long toss session, I might be saying something different, but for now, I'm going to be treating Max Scherzer as I've already been treating him during draft season. So you could keep him in what is now the big three because Justin Verlander, I think on most boards, fell out of the top four among starting pitchers as a result of the news that he's likely to miss opening day. You'd still consider Scherzer either at the back end of round one or possibly the early part of round two? I think that's where he still should be considered. Um, for my money, I'm almost certainly going to be taking pitchers in the in those uh, in those spots. And just as an example, in my Top Wars draft uh, about a week and a half ago, I had the tenth pick and I took Trevor Story, even though Jacob Degrom was still on the board. So just to give you an idea of where I'm going, but. If you are more of the uh, pitching variety, if you uh, if have a proclivity for taking pitchers at that stage of the draft, then I wouldn't be more concerned today about Scherzer back into the first early in the second than I was you know, two days ago. I think if that's the way you want to go, that this shouldn't scare you away from it. Yeah, I'm going to monitor him closely, but for now, no adjustment necessary on Max Scherzer. Just something to keep in mind as drafts come up again this weekend. Michael Conforto has been diagnosed with a right oblique strain, this after undergoing an MRI in Florida on Monday. He returned to New York for further evaluation. I think the Mets depth chart has been a frequent topic on this show and kind of wondering how the pieces are going to fit. Maybe the cloud that just hangs over this franchise in the form of injuries every single year will ultimately alleviate our concerns and just make it possible for all these pieces to coexist together Uh, but with hitters especially a left-handed hitter the right obliques the front side I'm definitely looking at Conforto and and wondering if opening day is going to be a problem for him I think because of the depth they have they can afford to be very careful with him to make sure he's completely healthy before bringing him back 
Yeah, our, uh, our our geniuses on the print side, uh, Brandon Funston and Nando DeFino, uh, they never should have had me write a My Guys column because I had Oscar Mercado, Michael Conforto, and Luke Weaver in there. And we've got bad news on all three of these guys over the last week or so. I'm totally with you on this, Derek. Uh, front side concerns are always what you want to be worried about. Front shoulder, front wrist, oblique, anything on the front side uh, is is note or a cause for concern for a hitter. So I agree with you that this is something to really be watching with Conforto, especially because... Again, as you note, this is a team that can afford to play it safe with him, especially early in the season, right? Why run him out there in cold weather when they've got plenty of guys who they can turn to? Now, I don't think they want to turn away from Michael Conforto all season, but early in the year uh, with the ways that they can cover uh, the outfield positions, uh, the flexibility that they have out there, I do think that opening day uh, could and should be in doubt for Michael Conforto, even if it is just from an abundance of caution, even if it turns out to be something that they, we don't need to be too worried about being a long-term issue. I do think that it makes sense for them to play it safe, be wise uh, with Conforto, and make sure that he is all the way back to 100% before they throw him back out there. I will say that if he starts to come at a discount, I'm still going to be very interested in him because of the on-base and power that this guy brings to the table every single season. It's uh, one of the most reliable guys at his draft stock that we really see. But this, unlike the Scherzer situation, I think is cause for some real concern. Yeah, I think there's going to be some missed time when the season begins. Now, some corresponding good news as it pertains to what the Mets might do in a potential Conforto absence. J.D. Davis was back on the field, started a game on Sunday, hasn't had any sort of known setbacks since returning to action. He, of course, jammed his shoulder at the end of February. So I think Davis would be the main beneficiary, but Yohan Cespedes is the other variable in the equation. He has been hitting in simulated games and running in a straight line at full speed, but he has not been making full speed changes of direction yet. So it's fair to wonder if Cespedes is also on track to miss opening day. So J.D. Davis might have a spot as a result of Conforto's injury. Let's talk about Jordan Alvarez. He was scheduled to play in a spring game on Wednesday, and those plans have changed. Knee soreness is still the diagnosis, at least for now. But Astros manager Dusty Baker said he's unsure if Alvarez will be ready for opening day. And we're talking about an expensive player. I mean, Jordan Alvarez goes within the first 40 picks of most snake drafts. He's UT only. He doesn't even have a full season at the big league level yet. And yet, I think the price is justified if he's healthy. But I think it's troubling to see such a young player and one who doesn't really have a lot of defensive responsibilities uh, struggling to shake this injury as we move through spring training. And a big guy, too, a guy who's always going to have to deal with having a big frame and keeping uh, the maintenance of that sort of body type up. But I agree with you completely. I think uh, that over your next couple of weeks, if you still have drafts and auctions ahead of you, that you need to be getting him at a discount from what we've seen uh, for the first part of draft season. Because if he still is going inside those top 40 picks, there's just too much risk. I mean, you say he's UT only. He also doesn't run at all. So that's something that you're not going to be getting from a guy inside the top 40 picks. And again, I don't think it's something you need to necessarily get, but it's just another uh, feather in the cap of guys who do it. And if he's not going to give you that and he gives you no positional flexibility and he is just going to be in his first full season. I mean, we've seen plenty of guys who take that slight step back in year two, right? There are only so many Juan Sotos in the world who just hit the ground running and literally never stop like we saw uh, from Soto over his first year and a half in the 
majors. Uh, there aren't very many guys like that, and Jordan Alvarez is no guarantee to be someone like that. So if you f- throw this all into one bucket, the UT only, the no running, the injury concerns already, the fact that he can't shake this injury, uh, and the possibility of taking a completely acceptable step back in his first full year in the majors, right? That wouldn't be some great crime against the game of baseball. Then it starts to get really risky inside the top 40 picks. So if you can get a little bit of a discount, then we know what the ceiling and the upside of this guy is. And I think you can still go after him. But if you're not seeing that, I think you have to force the market to come to you rather than you attacking and being aggressive on Jordan Alvarez. Yeah, Alvarez had a 178 WRC plus among players that at least 300 plate appearances last season. Only Mike Trout had a better WRC plus yeah, at 180. Company. It's a really good place to be <laughs> uh, as you begin your big league career. Uh, as far as the slash line goes, looking at the projections for Alvarez, most systems, and I'm looking at the bat, ATC, steamer, zips, they're in the high 270, low 280 range with his batting average, 360, 370 OBP. And a 550 or higher slugging is kind of the norm for him. Do you buy that slash line as his true talent baseline? I mean, we're probably going to have to ding him some games played as a result of this injury. But do you think that's the type of player he ultimately is in year two? You know, I, th- I think so. Uh, I was willing to take him at that price before this injury happened. Um, you know, I, when all the scouts agree on something, I tend to uh, just trust them and go with it. And the minor league numbers were pretty much always there, right? If you if you take a look at his minor league uh, career, uh, really the only setback he had at any point was his first taste of AAA in 2018. And then what does he do the next year? Come back in 2019 and slash 343, 443, 742 before getting the call uh, up to the majors last season. So this is a guy who has shown an ability to make adjustments at the major league level to adjust to the adjustments that pitchers are making. And I think that we should uh, expect that from him going forward. So I think that the per game uh, expectation is fair for him. Again, I still think you do need to see that discount if you are going to jump in on him just because of the fact that he hasn't been able to shake this knee issue. Let's talk about things that are good. Good news yes, would be, I love would be nice. Uh, David Dahl might be used as the Rockies' primary leadoff hitter this season. That's generally been Charlie Blackman's spot for the better part of the last five years. I'm not sure it changes Dahl's overall value all that much. It does maximize his potential plate appearances, maybe get a, a slight nudge there. Mostly, it just kind of shifts where the categorical production comes from. It changes the balance of runs versus RBIs. But are you in on David Dahl this year? His ADP since March 1st in the NFBC is right around pick 150. He's frequently battled injuries, and a lot of those are kind of fluky accident type things. I think even in the minor leagues, he had a ruptured spleen. like That cost him some time. He had that really bad fall in the outfield where his leg got caught underneath him in the second half of last season. What do you make of David Dahl at this point, given that he's flashed really nice skills when he's been on the field, but he's spent as much time on the IL as he's spent on the field? Yeah, I mean, I'm totally in on him at this price. I think that at that price, this is where you're okay with the injury risk uh, because you know what the upside will be. And he doesn't need to give you, you know, 155 games and 600 plate appearances to be worth it, right? I mean, if if David, if you told me I could get David Dahl pick 150, and I would get 120 games played out of him, I mean, sign me up. I mean, there are so many ways that you can cover the rest of those games in the outfield too, but it's not even because of that. It's because of what this guy has done on a per-game basis. And while you don't like to see the injuries and a guy with a, a major injury history uh, coming into any season, what I do take some solace in is that he's been able to bounce back from injury every single time, right? I mean, he's had an injury, he's come back, and he's been great, and then he's got injured, which sucks, but then he comes back, and he's still 
great. So this doesn't seem like the sort of thing where the injuries are nagging, right? They seem like the things that he gets over and then he is the sort of guy that you knew you were getting when you took him, when you got him on your team. We don't really see any lulls in production from him when he is healthy. So that really is what uh, makes my eyes big and wide when I look at that 150 ADP that we can get a guy who, if he does happen to stay healthy for 140 or 150, I mean, really seems to play like a top 15 outfielder. So I think that you're getting that sort of ceiling and a completely reasonable price and a floor that is replaceable because of the price point that David Dahl brings uh, this season. So yes, I am absolutely in on David Dahl. And I love the fact that he could be the leadoff man here because I like getting guys who can be big run scoring guys. It feels like run scored is a is a stat that is a little bit harder to find. RBI, you can find that sort of production. You get those extra PAs out of being in the leadoff spot too. You're hitting in front of Story Arenado, Blackman. Really like what Dahl could do as a leadoff man for this team. Let's talk about Eugenio Suarez. He's been fielding grounders, started making some throws to first base. So he's working his way back from shoulder surgery in January. The price in March NFBC drafts has been pick 85, pick 86, right in that range. So in a 12-team league, we're talking about a guy that goes maybe at the end of round seven, beginning of round eight. Do you like Suarez as a player who's getting a nice discount right now in drafts, or are you still a little bit leery of him because there are plenty of healthy alternatives around that same price that you don't have to worry as much about as far as the uh, working back from an injury part goes? Yeah, can I say a little of both? Because that's really how it feels. I mean, I do think that Suarez is um, is the better play in that range than most guys, especially when you're looking at third base. We just had our third base roundtable earlier this week, and uh, Funston put the question to us, uh, are you taking Suarez or Matt Chapman? I answered Suarez. Um, I understand the argument for Chapman, especially with the health factor uh, as part of the discussion, but you know, we, we just talked about it earlier, right? It's, it's a backside thing now for Suarez. You're not too worried about the shoulder. Obviously, he needs to be able to play in the field to be in the lineup. Uh, it's something that he's got to have, uh, that ability to throw the ball across the diamond. But the fact that he's already made these strides makes me want to treat him just like a guy who I would have uh, without the injury. Maybe he misses a little bit of time at the start of the season, but this at no point has seemed like a serious injury like anything the Reds were concerned about. He's been totally on track in the recovery. No setbacks whatsoever. He's making these throws. He's getting to do more and more, it seems like, every single day. So Suarez is my guy in that spot. It really does feel like you're getting um, the exact same guy who you would have taken or you would have had to have taken with a top you know, 45 or 50 pick. Did he not have this shoulder injury? 20 or 25 picks later. I really do think we're going to look at Suarez by like May 1st or May 10th as one of the real bargains of draft season. Yeah, I could definitely see it playing out that way. Uh, with Eugenio Suarez. Alex Verdugo resumed swinging on Monday. So far, so good. No reported soreness or setbacks for him, but still slow progress and still probably going to miss opening day. Discount on him has been pretty steep, though, too. Right around pick 250 has been his March ADP in NFBC drafts. Let's move on to our featured read. Today's featured read comes from Jason Stark. It's entitled Lights, Wristbands, Earpieces, MLB Explorers Delivering Signs Through Technology. You can, of course, check out that column at The Athletic. Now, I got to ask you, Michael, what do you think the best solution is going to be? Like, If you had to take Rob Manfred's job for one day and administer the new plan for how technology can be used for signs, what would your plan be? 
Man, I mean, I think you just got to be vigilant on policing these teams. I really think that that's what the the best answer is going to be. Um, Obviously, we can't put the toothpaste completely back in the tube, nor should we when it comes to the technology that's available. But uh, I think swift and stern punishment for people who are breaking the rules is going to be the best deterrent to uh, nefarious things that we saw with the Astros. And certainly we don't want to ever see uh, again in this game. I, I really think that's the way I would go. I think this is a great read from Jason. And I think it's uh, a smart for the MLB to explore every possible avenue that they have to keeping the technology on the cutting edge without taking away from the competitive integrity of the game. But I think you got to really deliver penalties to teams who break the rules if you're really going to deter them from doing things that could increase their win bottom line. Yeah, I think that's a, a huge part of all of this. I think the concept that makes the most sense to me if you're going to add some tech is to make calling pitches more like calling plays in the NFL, but Jason goes through all the different options and explains some of the advantages and disadvantages. So definitely check out that column. That is going to wrap things up for today's episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash baseball in 15. Everything we do is included with a subscription. If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and review, we'd greatly appreciate it if you take the time to do that. For Michael Beller, I'm Derek Van Riper. We're back with you on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs>